Okay. Cross is a place of God's goodness revealed. Right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Everyone say, by his son. So Jesus is the spoken expression of the Father. God is always speaking to us every day through Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory. So Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image means the very picture of God, the very image of God, the very photocopy of God is Jesus himself. So in Jesus, we see God. The goodness of God is revealed in Jesus. Not only in the cross when he died for the sins of the whole world, but also in his words, his behavior, his speech, his actions. When Jesus forgave, it was God forgiving. When Jesus healed, it was God healing. When Jesus looked with compassion to the widows, it was God that was revealing compassion. When Jesus was touching the young children, it was God touching them because God and Jesus were functioning as one. Can you say amen? amen. So what do we see in Jesus? The goodness of God revealed. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 14. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, for us, we may not understand the importance of this discussion because we are not born and brought up in a culture where lepers are outcasts. Nowadays, because of medical science, even lepers are touched by people because of, you know, medicines that we have, they are ministered to, they receive love and so on. But under the law, leprosy was considered unclean. Those who have it were considered as if they are cursed by God. So, if you have leprosy, you have to live outside the camp. You have to live away from people, rejected, ostracized, lonely. And you would never be included among the majority. And in fact, if you have to walk and there are people who are coming close to you, you will have to say, unclean, unclean. You have to shout. So that people go, ayah, like this. Not only lepers, but also if you are a woman and you're having your menstruation, you cannot touch people. People cannot touch you. You cannot go in public. Unclean. So when you feel, think, believe you're unclean, there's always this condemnation, this weight, this treasure, this guilt. Inferiority complex, right? Now, what did Jesus do? Jesus stretched, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, that was something that was so radical. No Jewish rabbi would ever touch a leper. Because under the law, it is said, when the clean touch the unclean, the clean become unclean. Now we have a rabbi who says he's holy, he's from God, 
and is touching the unclean. God is here revealing to us how the system is changing. The economy is changing. The ways of God are changing. For now, it's the clean Jesus touching us, the unclean. When we believe in Him, we, the unclean, we become clean. Righteous. Now, if you were that leper, how would you feel when Jesus just touched you? It's more than just the touching for the prayer. It's also the touching because he's never been touched his whole life. Have you ever felt so, so lonely that even when somebody just come and tap you on the shoulder, put their arms around the shoulder, it feels so good? Yes. Just simple touch can communicate love and acceptance and compassion. So Jesus was not just touching him to pray for his healing, but also communicating the compassion and the goodness of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So the cross is a place of God's goodness revealed. Can you say amen? The cross is really the heart of the gospel. To understand grace, we must understand the cross. Number two, the cross is the place of God's judgment where there is freedom. Freedom from judgment. The cross is a place of freedom from judgment. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him. So through death, Jesus is destroying Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Satan had power over humanity because of sin. And through that power, which came because of Adam's sin, and God's law, which says, on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Satan took advantage of the law and brought bondage to humanity. Right? Who had the power of death, that is the devil. Look at the next verse. And released those who through fear of death. So who had the fear of death? Mankind. People. Released those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What is bondage? Bondage is being oppressed, being in chains. Now the Bible says here, it is through fear. Through fear that people were in bondage. Bondage. When I was going through depression, fear, I did not want to go out of the house and meet people. I just want to stay inside my room. So if people invite me, come to the wedding, come to the marketplace, I didn't want to go. Fear. So fear bound me. See, fear always leads to bondage. But where did fear come from? From sin. Are you following me? One of the biggest fears is the fear of death. Fear of death. When old people get sick, they allow the fear of death to come in. And because of the fear of death, now they live bound. They don't want to do certain things, go certain place because of the fear. Have you ever seen a rat or a spider and it really made you afraid? Right? So there are so many phobias, 
fear of heights. Some people cannot take elevators or go high because of the fear of heights. Whatever form of fear you struggle with, it is a bondage. So through fear, we're all the lifetime subject to bondage. Some people have a fear of getting sick. So every time of the year, in March, April, May, or October, November, December, they're always expecting to get sick. Because that's usually the time when the flu comes. So fear can be such a powerful emotion that it actually controls your speech, your behavior, your feelings, your actions, even the way you spend money, your decisions for vacations, travel, school. Some parents have this fear that if I send my kids to college outside Kohima, they'll get spoiled. Keep in Kohima only. Fear. Fear limits you. Fear binds you. Do you agree? All the lifetime subject to bondage, oppression. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, which is us. Come on, everyone say, I'm a seed of Abraham. I'm a child of Abraham by faith, right? Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, Jesus, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or appeasement, atonement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered the cross, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He is able to help those who go through the same bondages in their lives. Now the reference here is to Jesus dying, Jesus suffering, Jesus being our sacrifice. Question, when did Jesus suffer? When did Jesus become a sacrifice? When he was on the boat of Galilee? When he was in Bethlehem? When he was in Nazareth, when did Jesus taste death? On the cross. So what is this verse referring to? The cross. The cross. The cross. And on the cross, Jesus took the judgment of God's wrath on him for the sins of all humanity so that we are set free. Where does fear come from? Sin. But if God... Through the sacrifice of Jesus takes care of the sin problem. The solution is there to deal with sin. Then it also means then fear should also be dealt with. Yes or no? How do you deal with fear? When you feel fear at times, did you feel like you have to call your friends? You call 10 friends. Please come, come stay with me in the room. Right? Now, even when all your friend comes, sometimes have you noticed the fear doesn't leave? Huh? When you get fear, sometimes people start drinking. We try to go someplace, watch a movie, do something just to fill our minds, distract us. But then we come back home, we're lying in bed and fear is still there. See, if you have a physical sickness, it's easy to take a medicine and the physical sickness goes. Right? If you're hungry, what do you do? Do you read the Bible or you eat? You eat because it's a physical hunger. Spiritual hunger, you deal with it spiritually. Physical hunger, you deal with it physically, right? Now, what is fear? Is fear spiritual or physical? Spiritual. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But we feel it. In the minds, in the emotions, in the bodies at times. So we think 
that to deal with fear, we have to deal with it physically. We ask for massage, we drink, we watch a movie, we call our friends, and we try to deal with fear with physical solutions. But the fear never leaves. You're still anxious, you're still worried. If fear is a spirit, it means this. The solution, the cure for fear is spiritual. And that's a solution the world cannot give. Why are people so rich, billionaires, and still their hearts are filled with restlessness? People so educated, so beautiful, and still struggling with guilt every day. Why? Because of fear and guilt and condemnation. And the world has no solution for it. The only solution for sin is the blood. And the only solution for fear is to deal first with sin and guilt and condemnation. That means you are cutting the legs of fear. Amen. So, the sacrifice of Jesus, which is not just a physical act, but a spiritual sacrifice. A spiritual truth, a spiritual fact for eternity is the solution to deal with fear. Why do people feel fear when they sin? Can you tell me? Because you start feeling a sense of judgment. There is this conscience within us that feels that sin must be punished. Yes or no? Yes. Somebody must pay the price. Now, if we will understand that that part of judgment, that price has been paid for. You know what it will do to us? It will release us from this fear of judgment and from bondage that comes from fear. Do you know that God did not create man to die? Man is not created to die. God created Adam and Eve in his image. That means Adam and Eve could have lived forever if they did not sin. But the moment they sinned, they died. They didn't die. They were still there. They died spiritually. But then Adam lived for 1,000 plus years. Yes or no? So it took 1,000 years for the death in his spirit to show up in his body. So now, the biggest fear that men have is what? The fear of death. Because we know it is not the way God made us. We know it here, intrinsically. We fight death. We fear death. Whether to come in our family, our friends, or on our own lives. Death terrifies us. Now, even the solution for death is the cross. is the sacrifice of Jesus. Because now, we know that salvation includes a glorified body. Salvation includes being resurrected from the dead. That even if I die today, it doesn't matter because when Jesus comes, I will raise from the dead again. Amen. That's why Christians don't have this fear of death anymore. We do not sorrow like the world. We are not grieving like the world. Without hope. Have you ever been to the funeral of people of other faiths? Huh? Yes. There's such an emptiness, I tell you. Because they are grieving without any hope. But you go to the, Christ, the funerals of people who believe the word. Who believe in God. 
who live in victory, I tell you, that even in the midst of the physical grieving, there's a note of victory. There's a note of hope. Amen. Hallelujah. So, the fear of death leads to bondage. Underline the word bondage. That bondage can result in addictions. That bondage can result in abusive relationships. That bondage can result in fears of all kinds. Have you noticed that when you feel guilty, you fight more with people? Have you noticed that? When you're feeling guilty and condemned in your heart, your heart is heavy. And then when you're having conversations, your heart gets disturbed faster. Have you noticed that? Yes. See, sin which leads to guilt and fear and condemnation leads to the heart being heavy and the heart being disturbed more in relationships, in reacting to situations. And it leads to bondages in the family, in husband and wife relationship, and then opening the person to addictions. So the cross is a place of freedom. God wants to bring freedom in your life through the gospel of grace from the cross. <clears throat> Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. How many of you believe in Jesus? So now God wants us to live with the consciousness of Zoe. God wants us to expect life. Zoe. Our consciousness should every day be life, 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 more life. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Yesterday cannot be better than today. Today should not be better than tomorrow. From glory to glory, every day is better. That is where your mind should be. But it takes the renewing of the mind to believe that. Because I know that some of you, you usually expect bad things. Ah, Today is going to be a terrible day. Terrible day. And you find it very difficult to expect good every day. Now, let me tell you this. If you believe God loves you, how many of you believe God loves you? Then you should always believe good things happen to you every day. Good things happen to those who believe God loves them. There was a time I used to think, why do bad things always happen to me? Anyone ever thought like that? Once, twice, three Four times bad things happen. It starts developing this negative mindset where you start thinking, you know, I'm the kind of person with a bad karma. I attract bad things. Hey, be careful of that sister, huh? She always attracts bad things. Or be careful of that woman. The first husband she married died. The second husband she married died. So we start thinking that we are this negative black hole of curse. That attracts all the evil thing in the world. 
That's why we develop this cursed mentality. Oh, that family is cursed. You break a mirror, you're cursed for seven years. So you start developing this mindset, this negativity where it's always curse conscious, negative things conscious, bad things happen, karma conscious, evil things consciousness based on something I've done or something that I haven't done right in the past. My father, my mother, and the mind is always expecting these evil things. Anyone feeling like that? You've gone through that? Dealing with that? You know, that's bondage. Because expecting that is you using your faith in the wrong way. You will attract what you believe. And if you believe that you are cursed and every day bad things happen to you because of your curse, it will happen. Jesus, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. Hallelujah. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Now, when you read verses like that, you have to add the emphasis. You can't read this like 1 into 1 is 1, 2 into 2 is 4, 2 into 3. This is not a subject. This is God speaking to you. You have to receive this as word from Father God to you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have Everlasting life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. To judge the world. The word condemn means judge. Jesus was not sent to judge. Make sure you don't go to judge yourself. Christians always demanding judgment, judgment, judgment. Judge my neighbor, Lord. He stole two inches of my land. Judge the chief minister, Lord, is very corrupt. No, our part is not to demand judgment. Our part is to be people of grace. Even when people sin against us, the Bible says, do not return evil for evil. Let God be the judge. Amen. Hallelujah. To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. For he who believes in him, now, this is the verse you underline. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. Who is this he? Huh? Us, right? Put your name there. Put Dipsana who believes in Jesus. Okay. What are your names? I have to get all your names. What's your name? Huh? Rasola, Yasoda, Yasoda, who believes in Christ is not condemned. Is not condemned. What does the word condemned mean? Is not judged. That means if you are a believer in Jesus, there is no judgment, condemnation on your life because of sin or your sins. Is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, why do people feel fear when they sin, when they do wrong? Why do people feel a sense of judgment when they get sick, when they lose all their money? When they go through a crisis, when they go through difficult times? Oh God, you have left us, Lord. 
Everything's going smoothly for you, but suddenly you get bad news, and the first thing is, Lord, what did we do wrong? Lord, why have you left us? I feel like God has left us. Strong believers even begin to say those things. They were strong because they were always strong in their actions, but they were not strong in the sense that they were established in the gospel. So because they were not established in the love of God, the first storm that came, they lost the peace. They could not understand. Their doctrine had no way of understanding that in the midst of the storm, God still loves me. Like Paul. Even when I'm in prison, I can rejoice in the Lord. When I'm shipwrecked, I can rejoice in the Lord. It's easy to rejoice in church. Did you know that? The church is the easiest place to pray. Because everyone is praying. But what can you believe that will establish you so strong? That even when the whole world is against you, you can rejoice in the Lord. Even when you are in sickness, you believe God loves you. Even when you have nothing in your pocket, you still believe God is with me. Is this truth? Amen. Sickness is not condemnation. Poverty is not condemnation. The world persecuting you is not condemnation. Amen. Hallelujah. The believer should never fear judgment on their life for their sins. That's why look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. We finished our last class in Romans chapter 7, right? Yes. So, Romans chapter 7, talking to us about how we struggle in our mind with carnality. Because we are not yet established in the belief that we are delivered from the law and delivered from sin. And we are born again and yet the law continues to affect us because the law incites sin. And you will even discover this in your own life that when you become very judgmental and legalistic and we depend on your end efforts, it actually causes you to have more sins in your life. I've seen this in my life. That instead of relying on the grace of God, when I start realizing, relying on my own works, it incites lawlessness, sinful thinking, and sinful behavior, even for my own life. So what's the solution? Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, <clears throat> There is therefore now, come everyone look in the verse, There is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, the majority of the Bible translations, it is only till Jesus. The second part is added by translators. The majority of the manuscripts, this verse ends in Jesus. So let's read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It should stop there. This was added on by translators. Are you seeing Romans 8 verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's where it is. 
Because if you read the second part, it seems like it is conditional. Only if you walk according to the Spirit, there's no condemnation. No. This is talking about those who believe in Jesus. How many of you believe in Jesus? Now what this means is this. You're already in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is in you. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Now this verse is saying that if you are a believer in Christ, there is no condemnation. What does it mean to condemn? To condemn means to reject. It means to judge. It means to cast aside. When ladies go to the shop and they look for dresses, they take the dress, look at it in the light, and they don't like, what do they do? They condemn it. This is not for me. Right? So you've already made a judgment. This is not fit. That's a very simple illustration of what condemnation means. Okay? To judge. Now, because of sin, God's judgment was on the whole world. Right? The moment you eat of it, you will surely die. So death is over the whole human race. Death is in creation. The curse came because of sin. So the whole world is condemned. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're condemned. You will never be accepted by God. You will never make it to heaven because you are condemned. God's judgment is already on the world. Do you know God's judgment is already on creation? That's why there's sickness and disease and calamities and earthquakes and so on. Remember Romans, um, um, John 3 verse 18 we just read? He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is already condemned. So the world is already condemned. But what does Romans 8 1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you are in Christ? That means no judgment on you. And the Greek word here, no, is a very strong word. It is ume, which means it is impossible. Paul is saying it is impossible for the believer to be condemned. In fact, in the Greek construction of this verse, see, in the English it says, there is therefore now no condemnation, right? But in the Greek, you know what's the first word? No! It's not there is therefore now, no. It's no. Whenever that word comes in the beginning of a sentence, that is the strongest negative in the Greek language. Paul is making such a strong statement. He says, no, impossible. And there's a double negative, not a single negative, double. No, no, impossible for a Christian to be condemned. You know why? Let me prove it to you in the Bible. Go to John chapter 9. Keep your hand here in Romans. Go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Verse 39. Are you there? For judgment I have come into this world. Uh What does it mean? Did Jesus come to judge? Well, if we interpret it like this, then John chapter 3 16, 17, 18 doesn't make sense. Because God is saying, He Himself said, I did not come to judge the world, right? 
Then why is Jesus saying here in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. What does it mean? The word judgment here is the word krima. K-R-I-M-A. And it also means at times in the Bible as a separator. A separator. Are you following me? So what Jesus is saying is this. I have come that on my, with my work on the cross, the judgment that I will take on me, I will be a separator. Those who believe in me are in light. Those who do not believe in me are still in darkness. That's what Jesus is meaning here. A separation between believers and unbelievers. He's not talking about, I'm come to judge you with sickness and disease. Did Jesus even tell anyone that came to him for healing, this sickness is for God's glory on your life? Did Jesus tell anyone that? No. But that's what we tell people today now, this pastors. You're sick for the glory of God. Well, if you want to give more glory to God, get more sick. Come on, let me pray for you to get sick. Yeah, because he'll give glory to God. And why are you buying so much medicines coming out of the glory of God? Huh? It doesn't make sense. The way theology has twisted the goodness of God. Okay? Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Are you there? Look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Underline that. Now is the judgment of this world. So Jesus is bringing the attention to something that's going to happen. And it's going to happen now. Now means shortly. In the times that Jesus was mentioning this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? Huh? Who? Modi? Oh, who is it? Satan, right? Satan in the Bible is described as a small r ruler of this world. Right? You can see that in Matthew also. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 8. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4. The devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, how did Satan have the authority to give all of this to the Lord? Because Satan took it from Adam. Who was the first ruler of the earth? Adam. But Satan came and deceived him. Adam obeyed Satan. 
And what does Romans chapter 6 says? Whoever you obey, you become a slave of. Right? If you submit to the law, you become a slave to the law. You submit to righteousness, you become a slave of righteousness. So, Adam submitted to Satan. Satan became the ruler of this world. And Adam took on Satan's nature. Did you follow? So, going back in John chapter 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So the judgment of this world is connected to the... Huh? Come on, think. The judgment of this world is connected to whom? Satan, right? So... There is an element of this judgment which is going to come on Satan who is ruling the world. And how is he ruling? Through sin and the law. Alright? He's using that. He's using God's law against God. Who is the lawgiver in the universe? Is it Satan or God? It's God. The universe runs in the law of God. Now, Satan, the only weapon he has against God is what? His law. On the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So because of that, death has come. Satan is using that law to oppress mankind with guilt and condemnation and shame and sickness and disease and oppression and so on. Are you following me? So now, Jesus is saying, the judgment of this world is coming. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Cast out from where? Satan is still around. Right? So it's referring to his position as the ruler of this world. The small g, God of this world. The place of authority, alright? Look at verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all... Huh? Will draw all peoples to myself. Where is it? Will draw all people to myself. Now, in this Bible, the word people is not italicized. And that's why you can't tell the difference. We'll draw all people. Same. That's why you need a good study Bible if you want to grow in the knowledge of the word. What does it say here? We'll draw all people. Even people here is not italicized. Where is it? John 12, 32, where is it? We'll draw all people. So, here we see is italicized, right? How many in your Bible, the word people is italicized? You know what italicized means, right? Yeah, slanted writing. Yeah. So the word people is not like the word people is like this. How many of you in your Bible, the word people is italicized? Okay. Whenever you see the word italicized, italicized means the letter is slanted. It means this. It was not there in the original Greek manuscript. It's not there. That word is added by the translators. That's why you need a good study Bible in order to understand the Bible. Because the Bible itself has a lot of human interventions in it. Bible translators put their own thinking, thought, and theology into it. But in the original Greek manuscript, this word peoples is not there. Because if the word peoples is there, it completely 
deflects from the context of these verses. I've told you about the rule of context, right? You must study the verse before and the verse after and understand what is the main theme that God or the author is talking about at that time, right? Yes or no? So what is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about drawing people or is he talking about judgment? What does verse 31 say? Now is the judgment. So what is Jesus talking about? Come on, tell me. Judgment. Now, even though it's two different verses, it's the same sentence. That means Jesus is talking about the same thing. Alright? And I, if I am lifted up, everyone say lifted up. If I am lifted up, well, when was Jesus lifted up? In Nazareth, in Galilee, in Bethlehem? Where is the only place he's lifted up? Where? Come on, tell me. The cross, right? Yes or no? Look at John chapter 3. John 3 verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what is Jesus referring to here? Sitting on the throne of David? Huh? Going up on the mount of Hermon? No, the cross. The serpent was the brazen serpent that Moses put up in the wilderness, which is a type of the cross, Jesus Christ, how he took our judgment, right? So, Jesus is saying again here, if I am lifted up, what's he referring to? The cross. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to me. The word people is not there. Will draw all to me. Now the word judgment. Look at verse 31 again. Now is the judgment of this world. Okay. The word judgment is the Greek word crisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. Which means justice. Which also means enacting of the divine law. It also means decision. Okay? And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to me. What is all here referring to? Anyone want to guess? Huh? Jesus is here on the cross. And when he was on the cross, the Bible says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Right? So the sins of all humanity came on Jesus. Right? So if the sin came on Jesus, where did God's wrath come? Where did God's judgment come? Huh? God's judgment came on Jesus. That means God here in heaven, seeing whole earth and seeing sin and being offended with sin and having wrath against the sin of mankind, all of the cup of God. Remember the time when Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, may this cup pass from me. Right? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The cup of indignation. Anger of God against sin. The cup of God's judgment against sin. Jesus knew that he was going to take it. It is the will of God. And yet his emotions were fighting it. His soul was fighting it. But he submitted to the will of God. And became obedient to the point of death. The death of the cross. 
So the cup of God's wrath and judgment against sin came on Jesus. So Jesus is not talking about if I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to me. No. He's saying the context. If I am lifted up, I will draw all judgment to me. Uh, write the word judgment where people this in your Bible. I will draw all judgment to me. Against sin. Upon himself. So that you, when you believe in him, you are safe. You are not condemned. And that's why there is therefore now no condemnation. It is impossible for a believer to be condemned. I saw a movie called Double Jeopardy long time back. I don't know whether you have seen that movie. It's in the 80s. See, the generational divide now. It's a movie where there's Jude Law and then there's this woman who is convicted for killing her husband. So she has to be imprisoned. So she was in prison for about 20 years. Then she was released on parole. And then after she was released, she found out that her husband was alive. Because the husband is the one who framed her and made it look like she killed him, but he stole her money, went to another place and was living comfortably. And the wife found out he's still alive. So the wife went and took a gun, was about to kill him. And the wife told him, do you know that if I kill you right now, I will not go to prison. I will not go to jail. Because there's a law and it's there in every country of the world. You cannot be convicted twice for the same sin. He has already gone to prison for his death. So if he kills, if she kills him now, she cannot go to jail. Why? That crime has already been paid for. Paid for. Right? So tonight if you sin, by thinking bad thoughts about Pastor Sean. And then suddenly you start feeling guilty. There is now no condemnation. You see, you cannot pay the price when Christ has already paid the price. You cannot be condemned. You know why? Christ was condemned for you. The judgment of God came upon Christ on your behalf. So that you are not condemned. It is against the very judgment and righteousness of God. To judge you for your sin. When he already judged his son for your sins. Is God absent minded? Come on tell me, is God absent minded? See sometimes as parents, we scold our kids two times. For the same mistake. We punish them double. And it's unfair. They get offended. But is God like that? Will God punish Jesus and punish you again? And say, oh, I forgot, sorry. Huh? Will God punish you and punish Jesus again? So if Jesus took your judgment, will God judge you? If Jesus was condemned for you, will God condemn you? No! And that is why in John, 1 John chapter 2, remember, John said, my little children, if anyone sins, what did John say? My little children, if anyone sins, confess your sins and you'll be forgiven. Is that what John said? No. What class have you been in? Go to 1 John chapter 2 again. 
What did John say in 1 John chapter 2? Some of you need to get born again again. What did John say in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1? Come on, read it. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have an intercessor with the Father. Who is that? Jesus. 1 John 1.9 is not for believers. It's a salvation scripture. It is not for believers. My little children, if anyone sins, remember this. You have an advocate with the Father. Christ, a high priest. The moment you sin, you need to be conscious of this. Christ took your condemnation. And the same sin cannot be condemned twice. Cannot be punished twice. And that's why the cross is a revelation of righteousness. The gospel of grace reveals the righteousness of God. That God is so righteous to condemn your sin on Jesus. He is righteous today. Not to condemn you, but to declare you righteous. And it is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it is not some unhealthy kind of love, it is righteous love. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember. When you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-5684-533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.